Welcome to Write Now with Scrivener, where writers talk about how they work, how they develop their ideas, and how they use Scrivener, the app built for long-form writing projects. I'm your host, Kirk McElhern, author of Take Control of Scrivener. This week, I'm very happy to welcome Sheila O'Flanagan. Sheila has just published, I believe, her 30th book. Sheila, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. How does it feel to have 30 books? Um, it doesn't feel like I've written 30 books, to be perfectly honest. I, I mean, I know I have done it. I know it has happened. But uh, I, I still feel like maybe I've written one or two. And, and you know, it doesn't, it doesn't compute to me that I've written that many books. You have a whole bookshelf of your books and their translations and all, right? So that takes up a lot of space. I do. It does take up a lot of space. And every so often I do look at them and I say to myself, oh my God, I I, I wrote those. But at the same time, I think inside, I still feel like, you know, I think writing is writing is something that you're always learning how to do. And so I, I you know, I don't sit back and look at 30 books and say, I know it all or anything like that. I, I don't feel that way about it. When you published your first novel, did you have any idea that it would become a career for so long? Uh, no, uh, I did hope um, because I had always wanted to write and I, I always wanted to have a, a novel published. So I did hope that I would be able to write more than one. Um, in my head, I thought maybe at a you know, if I was really lucky or at a push, I might get to three or four books. And I thought that would be a great achievement. Um, but I think for me, it was like having written one, it was like the dam burst and suddenly I, I couldn't stop myself. And so I just, all the things that I wanted to write, all the, all the, the ideas that I had and, you know, all the themes that I wanted to explore, they just came flooding out and, and, and I just kept going. At the time, you were working as a banker. Mm. Uh, that's a bit different from writing. You were, what, with foreign exchange, something like that? You weren't just a banker giving people money in a branch. No, no, I was a foreign exchange trader and then a government bond trader. So, um, yeah, I used to buy and sell things, um, which is, I have to say, a very, very different kind of part of your brain to be using. And not one that I ever... I ever expected to use. Um, when when I was first looking for a job, I just kind of fired off my CV to loads of different places. And for some extraordinary reason, uh, I ended up getting the banking job. And I, I had been pretty sure I would get a job in a library or, or something like that. But uh, the banking job came up and my mother said to me, get out there and take that job. That's a great job. Had you studied business? No, no, not at all. It, I mean, it's just really, really bizarre. Um, but of course, um, this was uh, in the 1980s in Ireland and there weren't that many jobs. And so the idea of getting a job in a bank is probably now you look at banks and you think, oh my God, what an awful place to have a job or something because they, they don't have a set, uh, the element of prestige that they had back then. But back then it was a kind of a prestigious job to have. And, and uh, you know, we, we weren't a well-off family and the, the idea of me, me getting a job in a bank was very exciting for my mum. So, um, so I took the job. Um, but as I have often said to people, it's, it's it's something that I did and I enjoyed doing while I was doing it, but it wasn't ever my heart's desire to say I am a banker. Is that why you just started daydreaming and imagining writing a novel? I think I was always doing that. I, I was really lucky that I was brought up in a home where books were considered to be important. And um, my both my parents and my grandmother um, used to read to me a lot. And so uh, I was always making up stories and I... I recall um, when I was very young um, saying to my mother when she'd finished a book, I was saying to her, well, what happens next? You know, what are they going to do now? And, and she said to me, um, well, you tell me. 
And so uh, I came up with a whole kind of new plot for the for the characters in the book she'd read to me. And so I, I think I just always wanted to write stories. So you're our first Irish writer, which is particularly close to my heart, in part because of my ancestry. But at least three of my favorite writers are Irish. And it's interesting, such a small country to have so many great writers. Obviously, you can probably guess who one of them is because everyone... Well, everyone pretends to like James Joyce, but I've actually read Finnegan's Wake. Samuel Beckett and William Trevor, to me, is one of the finest authors of short stories in English language. How is it like living in a country with so many great writers compared to the population? Um, I think storytelling is in our DNA. It was interesting that you say that about William Trevor, because I agree with you about short stories. And I like I, I, I am a big fan of the, the short story myself. Um, but I think, generally speaking... Uh, Irish people are very, we are very conversational and we're very curious and we're very empathic and we, we enjoy listening to each other's stories. And it's not a big stretch to then start writing them down, you know. And if you look back in our history, if you look way back um, at the time when we were first, uh, I suppose, conquered by the British and schools were driven underground and everything, um, the, we have this... The, the hedge schools, as they were called, where people were taught, you know, just quietly and without paper and pencil and, and, and were taught by storytelling. And I think maybe that's just imprinted now in our DNA. And, um, you know, if you go, there's this kind of, you know, this myth of the Irish pub where it's all conversation and chat and everything. But it is probably 80% true that people tell a lot of stories to each other. Um, so it's not, you know, in all honesty, being a writer in Ireland is it's not an unusual thing. <laughs> are, are there that many writers in Ireland? Is it really common? There really are. I mean, obviously, we have some very well-known writers, but at the same time, we have, have a very uh, a, a great deal of of writers who, you know, you'd call mid-list writers who are just, who write a lot. I mean, who wouldn't be particularly well-known, but who who um, publish a book every couple of years or so and who do well and um, yeah, they're... There are lots of writers. Are the Irish big readers? I know that the country that reads the most is Iceland, and that kind of makes sense because of the long winters. Mm, yeah, but we are big readers, and we are big. Um, we are big into using our libraries, and um, like books in Ireland are always strong relative to the the level of the population. So, I mean, everybody is reading a book. You know, there's people do read a lot. So it is just part of of the culture, I guess. Interestingly, the three writers I mentioned all left Ireland, Joyce Beckett and William Trevor. We were talking before the show, you were talking about so many people who left in the 80s. You've sort of half left because you have a house in Spain, but you're still, you've got one foot on each side there? Yeah, well, but I, I mean, I was fortunate that I hadn't didn't have to leave for economic reasons. So, you know, I, my my moving over to Spain um, for half the year is, is really a cultural thing. Um, I, I like the culture and I like the lifestyle and and um, so, so that's that's the reason. It's 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 kind of a slightly different reason. And also, I didn't have to move. Because, I mean, you know, some of the writers that you mentioned, you know, they moved because Ireland back then was much more repressive kind of society than it is now. So my reasons for moving were, were far more personal and and I mean, joyful than perhaps theirs. You're the first romance author I've had, and, and I kind of regret that it's taken two years of this podcast to get a romance author. When I look for you on Google, I find you in a list of chiclet authors. Is this considered a derogatory term among romance readers and authors? 
It kind of is now, and because you know, a lot of times if somebody says, "Oh, do you mind your books being described as chiclets?" You would say, "Well, if you have to ask me if I mind, you're immediately coming from a place where there is a certain level of, of you know, um, uh, lack of respect towards towards the genre." And and I think, you know, um, with all due respect, <laughs> probably men in particular would have a, a, a feeling of if you say romance, they have this vision of you know, it's some girl falling for a guy and you know it hasn't gone well and but they all end up happily ever after and that really is not I suppose that there's a, a, a kind of a genre of, of novels where that is entirely just what happens but you know in my books and in many of the books that also got tr- thrown into that chiclet category the 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 storylines and the stories are stronger than that and they are they are more about relationships um and wider relationships than simply one romantic relationship. So they they're about families and the things that happen in families. And for me, you know, that is that is fundamentally the most important things in our lives. You know, the relationships we have with other people. So I think, you know, exploring that is is a really um, important thing to do, but an enjoyable thing to do. When we talk about fiction, we put things in genres because I worked in a bookstore for several years. You have to have genres to know where books are going to be shelved. I was watching a TV series last week called Yellowstone, which is set in the American West. It's a modern story. And I was thinking the Western is one of the only genres that's anchored in a space and time, right? Romance novels, you know what the ending's going to be because there has to be, well, in most of them, there has to be a happy ending. And what's important is the journey to get there, right? The process. And you're talking about family, but it's also the relationships. It's the growth of the characters. It's not two-dimensional. I mean, in a lot of rom-com movies, it is. But in novels, you have so much more space. It's a lot more about the characters, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I know you're saying um, a happy ending. And for a lot of people, you know, that's saying, well, these two people maybe get together. But actually, ultimately, the happy ending may be that they don't. Um, interestingly, in Sweden, these novels are called feel-good fiction. And the rationale is that, you know, all the things that happen and all the things that get explored within the novel still come to a satisfying ending. And at that point, you are feeling good about what has happened to the characters. So they want to be in a better space. And I think, you know, what you want to do is leave the characters in a better place than where than they were when you started. So your latest novel is What Eden Did Next. I find the name of the character Eden quite interesting. So she's a nurse and she was married to a fireman who died. And she's in this stage about five years after that she's embarking on a new relationship. T- tell us a bit about this book. Um, well, uh, you know, I I want to try, part of this book was written in during lockdown, um, during our second lockdown. And so... Um, my mom at the time had a carer coming in to visit her and uh, I wanted Eden to reflect some of that, the, the caring things that I, I was seeing. So Eden in herself is a really caring character and she's a really good person, I think. A lot of my characters are not always really good people, but I think she is a really good person. But she And she has gone through a lot. I think even before the book, she has gone through a lot. And so she is in a, ca- a p- place where she is ready to move on. Um, she's she's suddenly she has she has kind of devoted herself to caring to, for for her clients and she's also caring for her daughter, but she hasn't spent a lot of time caring for herself. And so when we're meeting her in the book, she's just beginning to feel that she's ready to move on. But she is anchored in in her past by her close relationship with her late husband's family, 
and they are not able to let her move on because they feel that her moving on actually means they lose him. And she's trying to deal with the fact that she was he was the love of her life. She 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 was devastated when he died. And she's dealing with both her feelings of being, is it okay to move on? And their feelings of, you know, but if you do this, we are going to lose a link with somebody that we love very deeply. And so it's these expectations that people put upon our, us ourselves and the expectations that we place upon ourselves uh, that I wanted to look at in that novel and how it is that you do manage to move on from from grief. And I think, again, that was possibly influenced somewhat by the fact that I was writing this during lockdown and, and a lot of people were going through very difficult times. It's interesting you mention that because at the beginning of the book, there's a drawing of this neighborhood called Sycamore Grove and all the people are on a WhatsApp group talking about each other. And it kind of sounds like lockdown in the sense that they're communicating electronically about what everyone's doing and everyone's looking out the curtains without looking out the curtains and everyone knows what everyone's doing in this area. Yeah, it's kind of, a, a, I mean, it was actually based on a WhatsApp group that I heard about um, that a, a friend of mine uh, told me about and it was their, their local neighborhood. Neighborhood Watch kind of became a WhatsApp group. And so, you know, if people, if strangers came into their community, they would say, oh, does anybody know who's coming in here? You know, and I just thought, oh, my God, that is so, so constraining and everything. But I love the idea of it for a novel. So, yeah, everybody knows what everybody's doing. It's a bit of a panopticon when everyone's observed and they know they're observed and they go on the group and they know people are talking about them and all that. It, it is kind of yeah. strange. I'm going to say this softly so no one hears me. I, I'm in a little village and there's a not a WhatsApp group, but another app where they talk about the neighboring village in this one. And after about two or three posts, it's anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists. And it's just as bad as Facebook. Yeah, I think when when there's a group like that, it always ends up going down some kind of mad rabbit hole, which I try to avoid happening with my um, WhatsApp group, my fictional WhatsApp group, but WhatsApp group. But um, yeah, it was a fun part to the novel. It was always an enjoyable bit to, to, to uh, set write those messages. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you use Scrivener. Writing a book, screenplay, or even a long article is a juggling act. You need to find the right words and the right structure, keep track of research, and refer to notes. Tailor-made for long writing projects, Scrivener is the go-to app for writers of all types. Scrivener combines a typewriter, binder, and corkboard in a single app. A project outline makes it easy to get an overview of your work and flip between sections. Refer to research alongside your writing and just drag and drop to rearrange your work. Write in any order in sections as large or small as you like and let Scrivener stitch it all together when you're ready to share your words with the world. With Scrivener, you'll find everything you need to start writing and keep writing. Scrivener is available for Mac, Windows, iPad, and iPhone. Download the free trial from ScrivenerApp.com. Right now with Scrivener listeners can get a 20% discount with the coupon code PODCAST. That's ScrivenerApp.com. So Sycamore Grove, is it a nice place to live? It, it almost sounds like you're, I, I don't want to, it's not like a Stepford Wives thing, but you're, there's a bit of a dark side going on there. Yeah, I struggle to live in a community like that, I have yeah. to say. But you know, that's that's this thing, you know, this, this, this thing there is now for gated communities. And I mean, Sycamore Grove is not like that. You don't have to have 
there isn't a gated community thing. But, you know, there's a lot of that now. And I just think, oh, my God, it's my worst nightmare, the idea of, you know, everybody being the same or something in this community. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't fancy it myself. You talked about romance novels not necessarily having happy endings, but feel good. I like that idea of feel good. And that's what you get when you watch a rom-com. Movies are often different because they end with the first kiss, right? At least the classic rom-com. But romance novels today, and I, I say this as someone who does not read a lot of romance novels, but in the past year, I've been trying to read more. And the genre has gotten... It's spread out in all different directions, not even talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, but things that are more, I don't want to say darker, but more deep in terms of what they're exploring, that they're not just exploring the the happy side of romance, but often the dark side. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, one of my my novels, uh, The Missing Wife, is actually about coercive control. And it's about um, a woman who runs away, obviously, (laughs) it's called The Missing Wife, but she runs away from her husband. And he comes running after her. And, um, you know, and and in writing that, I was uh, exploring how she got to this situation, how that actually, how, you know, somebody who is an intelligent woman and a clever woman, a smart woman, suddenly gets into a position where she is being effectively controlled by somebody else. And then how you manage to break out of that and what happens as a consequence to that. So, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you say romance, um, but... And there is romance in in all of my books, but it's not necessarily the most important part of of what the book is. So that doesn't really fit you in with Chiclet. Where would you be on the shelves of the library or the bookstore? It's kind of hard when you've got cross genre stuff, right? I think uh, I think they don't in in the bookstores now. They they don't really use Chiclet so much. I think it's it's really just contemporary contemporary fiction or contemporary women's fiction or something like that. Is is where they would go for it. I mean, I think the original Chicklet thing was around the Bridget Jones time. Bridget Jones, yeah. Comedic um, novel. Yeah. You know, and then just yeah. kind of expanded to be anything that was written by a woman that wasn't crime or literary. You know, so. Yeah. Well, publishers jump on a bandwagon when something's popular. And people in America don't see this, but on Amazon UK, when you see a book, you see the title of the book. And then for fans of or the the page turning thriller of the summer and this sort of thing. So they've put these qualifiers after the title of the book on Amazon, which kind of tries to force these books into a smaller genre. It does, but that's a, that's very Amazon-ish. I think it's it's like they try to, if you read this, you like this, you know, they it's uh, I presume it's something that their algorithms do or something like that. Um, I know that my old books have been recommended to me on Amazon, which I kind of laugh at. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, oh, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. And I hate using genre to, to define books of, of any type. But, you know, you're right. Um, in order to sell books, publishers do need to be able to kind of put them into some kind of overarching um, category, I guess. How many books did you write when you finally gave up your banking job? Um, I had written four books at that when I gave up my banking job. I mean, the first the first three books that I'd, I'd written were published in Ireland. And even though, you know, they did hugely well in Ireland. The population is so small that you would never be able to give up your work, you know, a, a day job. And I had a mortgage and things like that. So, um, but then that, that after that, um, I I got an offer from a publisher to to write full time, and and I said, you know, this is it. This is my 
uh, this is what I've always wanted to do. Was it easy to take that leap or was it, was there a lot of reflection? What's the risk? Will it work out? What happens if I fail? I wasn't worried about what would happen if I failed because I said to myself, if I don't do this, I will always regret it. And I think you always regret the things you didn't do more than the things that you did do, you know. So I wasn't, you know, I, I, I kind of felt, well, if it doesn't work out, um, I will have given it a shot and, um, you know, that's fine. And, and I'm sure I'll get a job doing something, you know. So I was in confidence that I would still be able to, I mean, at worst, you know, I could stack shells, you know, I was kind of thinking like that. But I, I mean, I was really lucky and it did work out. So uh, in the end, it, I, I think the the only uh, the only regret that I had was that I I had a whole wardrobe of really snazzy business suits <laughs> that, that I never wore. Expensive business suits that I never wore again. Well, when I left the corporate world, I was glad to get rid of the suits and ties. That wasn't much fun. So let's talk about how you use Scrivener. You have been a Scrivener user for how long? Um, well, I, I just checked it before we we started to talk, and I I got Scrivener first in two thousand and ten. So I I have written twelve twelve and a half books using Scrivener. So what is your process? You told me before we started that you made a list of what you use in Scrivener. I did, I did just to kind of make sure that I kept on track with what I was saying. But I mean, the main reason that I that I discovered Scrivener first or went looking for a program like Scrivener was that um, we had to you know my my publishers all everybody used Word and Word is hopeless for long documents. And um, every so often, Word would crash, and you, you know, if you tried to do a long document or you tried to merge documents and everything, and I just found it really stressful. And um, I was looking to try and find something that would that would work for me. And I saw the Scrivener app, and I downloaded it, and I said, okay, well, I'll give this a try and see how it works. And what I instantly liked about it was the fact that you could that the binder process meant that you could just load in folders, and for me, each folder is a separate chapter. So that was ideal, you know, because I that that's how I like to divide up my work in 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 chapters and pieces that I was going to write, and then in each each folder, then I could subdivide down into scenes. So the way that I work is I have my folders, and then inside those I have three or four different scenes that work in each chapter, and so then I can pop back then when I'm looking at things because I do move things around quite a bit as you as you get further into the novel, you kind of say to yourself, okay, maybe I should. Uh, this piece should come sooner or I should be able to move this around. And so I, I can pop it up on the cork board. I, I look and, and see what the uh, what the main elements of, of each um, folder are. And I think, oh, yeah, I can move this here and I can move that there. So I find that just that for me is the is the number one feature um, in, in Scrivener. And then when you've got it all together, you can compile it. It pops out as one document. It never crashes. It's perfect for me. Um, and the only niggle that I have is that when it does a document, it does it as a Microsoft document instead of a pages document, because <laughs> I'd rather it did pages and then I could just uh, export it to to uh, Microsoft. But it's it's such an easy, intuitive structure and uh, that that it works brilliantly, brilliantly for me from from the very start. Um, I like as well, I was kind of thinking, I like the fact that you can do a dual screen. Sometimes, you know, because you can split the screen, yeah, split the screen. And if you want to just look at two things side by side, you know, two pieces side by side where you're trying to maybe move things around again or where you're trying 
to compare what you've written to something else, you're able to do that. Um, so I find that useful. I don't use that a lot, but when I do use it, it's it's really useful. I like little things like the word frequency because I always find when you're doing uh, when you're writing a novel. And it's different for every novel, but there's one word that you just use all the time. And uh, it, it can be a random word, you know. Uh, I was reading somebody else's book recently and and they were using the word boasted a lot. And they were using it in the way an estate agent does it, you know, or they're saying uh, the house boasted a big garden. And I, it, once it gets into your head, you just can't get it out. You know, you've seen it all the time. And so I find that really useful. There's a Stephen King novel, 112263. Now, I remember this word because I had I have a good vocabulary, but I had to look it up. He uses the word obdurate several times in the book. Now, the first time you hear it, it's like a stain. But then when you hear it every hundred pages, and this is a long book, it's like warts. And something that, that uncommon just stands out, doesn't it? Well, that's the thing. And quite often it is. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be as uncommon as obdurate, but but it would be, you know, it would be a word that wouldn't be used a lot. Um, and and yet yeah, it, it does stand out. Or, and so I find that really, really helpful. I, actually, I also find, even though I don't set myself um, word targets, uh, a word count, you know, when I sit down and try it, I do find it useful to set a project target and say to myself, I want to be finished by a certain date. And so I, I can pop back and see how I'm how I'm doing. I, I find that useful. And I also find, um, you know, I I have a folder that I would use as a research folder and I find it really useful that you can drag in um, web pages and things like that and keep them all in one place so you don't have to go off and keep searching for things again. So there are quite a lot of elements that, that for me work very well in, in Scrivener, but the main one is being able to break down the novel into its kind of component parts and move them around. Do you outline your books? No, I wish I did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. It's funny because I've talked to people, they outline in detail and maybe they'll make changes and others like, absolutely not. We had Peter Robinson on the podcast, the first episode, and he says, I just start with a body and I figure it out from there. Now, he's got a recurring character, which is often the case with mysteries, but he said that he wants to discover what happens himself. Actually, that is, he's absolutely right because, you know, I think if you know everything that's going to happen in your novel, um, it's not so exciting to write it. But as the if you're writing the novel and the characters develop in front of your eyes and change in front of your eyes and do things somewhat unexpectedly, which always happens, that is so joyful and it it just makes a really good journey for you as a writer. And you and you know you you kind of more enthused by that. And if I if I felt if I was if I was writing to a plan, um, you know that would restrict me. Uh, and I, I find it very difficult to do that. Having said that, there are times when I think to myself, just a little bit of, of outlining might be might be useful. I usually, um, when I start, I, I, I kind of write about three three sentences about this book is about, so that I kind of know what, what I'm trying to go with. And, you know, it's, it's about X happening. And um, that's as far as I get with it. Uh, and then sometimes I come back and I look back and think, oh, yeah, sort of about that. <laughs> I found an interview with you in The Independent, and the journalist starts the article by saying, one of the first women writers to set her stories in contemporary Ireland. There must be other women writers who set their stories in contemporary Ireland. Well, there are now, and there are a lot of, of, of writers, women writers who set their stories in contemporary Ireland now. But my first novel was actually published back in the late 1990s. And at that point, 
there weren't. Um, and, and it was one of the reasons that I, that I write in the genre I write because there weren't, you know, when I was in my thirties and there were no novels about women who had a career or who were juggling a career and family or who were commuting to work or anything. An awful lot of the Irish or an awful lot of Irish writing was still set back maybe 20 years previously. So, uh, but since then, I mean, we have I've had a lot of uh, women writers doing really well. And um, it, that's fantastic. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, again, as Ireland is changing, women were changing, we kind of found our voices and we were happy to write about our current lives. So, uh, so that has changed now. Yeah. I like to ask my guests to recommend a book for our listeners, either something you're reading right now or one of your favorite books. What can you recommend? Well, I have just read a book um, which will be out in May this year, and it's called The Tumbling Girl. And it's by a new writer. Um, she's in the UK. Her name is Bridget Walsh. So it is quite an Irish sounding name. But the novel itself is set in Victorian England. And it's it's a kind of a, I wouldn't say gothic mystery because it's not that, but it's a it's a mystery novel. And um, it's a it's uh, a, I think it's going to be a part of a series and there's recurring characters. But it is beautifully written. Uh, it's set around a music hall and a murder in a music hall, and, uh, and one of the characters is, uh, you know, is is somebody who works in the music hall, and then there's a kind of slightly aristocratic um, detective. But it's it's a kind of a nice twist on that particular genre, of both the crime genre and and but the historical detail is really good too. Um, so I enjoy that very much, and I think I would I would really recommend that uh you know it's a it's a very it's an easy book to read but it's it's got a lot going on okay sheila o'flanagan thank you very much for joining me thank you if you like the podcast please follow it in itunes or your favorite podcast app to learn more about scrivener go to scrivenerapp.com join us next month for another conversation on right now with scrivener <laughs>